Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life. Today, we are joined by Elena Brower, a mama, teacher, artist, author, and speaker. Elena has taught yoga and meditation since 1999. Her first book, The Art of Attention, has now been translated into six languages. Her second book, Practice You, is a best-selling journal being incorporated into teaching curricula worldwide for students of all ages. And she recently released her third book, Better Apart, The Radically Positive Way to Separate, which she wrote with her college friend, Gabrielle Hartley. Fun fact, Elena, Gabrielle, and I all went to Cornell, which hopefully explains the Go Big Red shout out in our chat. In this interview, we talked about relationships, how we nourish them, and how to manage gracefully when they end. I realize all of your bios start with the word mama. Yeah. And I love that, but I was hoping you could tell us why. Well, that's my biggest job, dude. <laughs> Boy, that is the biggest job, isn't it, it Kelly? Oh, my God, yes. it's the best. <laughs> it's best and biggest. Mm-hmm. What else is there, really, in the mm-hmm. end? Right. And it's the permanent one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we should all be very, very proud of that. You know, there's no question that we have now at our fingertips one of the most beautiful opportunities to redefine how the world sees. We're in the middle of it right now. You know, we're redefining it by parenting proudly and loudly. We're redefining it by creating businesses where women are constantly in collaboration rather than in competition. And we're recreating it by, by allowing our kids to have a voice can't tell you how many people I talk to, particularly about um, divorce, because I have that book coming out, and and they're like, yeah. So, do you think my kid is ready to hear the truth of what happened? And I'm just like, yeah. How old is your child? They're like eight. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes, they were ready to hear a version of this story when they were when five. They were three. three. Yeah. I mean, it, I basically was telling my kid every single night as my husband and I were breaking up, and he was two and a half or three. And every night I would tell him the story of Elena, the little girl, who I, I talk about this in the book too. Um, Elena, the little girl, loved art. She loved her schoolwork. She loved coming home and doing her homework and meticulously arranging her pencils and her pens and her notebooks and, you know, all the things. And every night there was a different set of details that I would tell him the story. And I would take him all the way through college, all the way through to the yoga class where Anthony showed up all the way through to the fact that upon seeing him, I saw in the, uh, in the floor, in the grain of the floor, I saw Anthony's face. He was the brother of a dear student of mine. And I saw in the grain of the floor in front of him, Jonah's face. Wow. And I was like, Jesus, is this actually the father of my children? And he sure enough was, and we eloped within, I think four months. 
call me crazy. It was beautiful. And we were divorced within four years. And we are still the best of friends. We are learning together every day. We have had some of the best chats this week. Tell us about the, the new book and how that came to be and how you and Anthony navigated so elegantly. Uh, so the book was actually a collaborative effort between myself and Gabrielle Hartley, who's a very beloved mediator and uh, divorce attorney in New York in the sort of Northeast. She's based in Northampton, Mass. She and I went to Cornell together. Go Big Red. Go and Big Red. <laughs> and, um, and she invited me to this project. She didn't have a name for it. She didn't know what she was going to do, but she knew she had to write a book. She knew that she was onto something with regards to helping people divorce with kindness, you know, straight up. And without all that trauma that would come. And she used her yoga practices and she used whatever she could of her breathing practices and she was helping people. So she called me into it and I started to work with her on creating practices. We came up with these five beautiful pillars together, super helpful. And we started to write this book. I ended up being the sort of ghostwriter of the book. Mm-hmm. But technically, I'm really the with author. You know, it's Gabrielle Hartley's book, but I'm with Elena Brower and I am so proud of this thing. My, my prediction is that millions of children will be helped by the parents who choose to read this book, even if you're already divorced, even if it's already years past, water under the bridge, reading this book for the sake of your kid or kids will help you to be a better person in the context of post-divorce life. And if you're in the middle of it, this book is priceless because the pillars are easy to follow, they're easy to understand, they present ideas that one would not think of if one were in the middle of the process, when one is deeply emotional, scarred, wounded, hurting, pain, it takes us out of that place and into, okay, what are the facts here? How can we actually just process this with ease, with attention, with care, and with kindness? And I think we did a really, if I may say so, I think we did a really good job of making it simple and accessible. There are a few practices in there that you don't need to be a yoga person to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm exceedingly proud. I'm really happy that Gabrielle asked me to work on this with her. What a gift. What a gift. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like a funny side gig in a way for me. But I think it's going to be massive. I think that's great. Yeah. So what, what are the five pillars? Patience because the process is such, can I curse on this? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Patience. The process is so fucking arduous and so long, even in the best of circumstances, you need so much patience with it because if you're going too fast and you want this process to be done now and you need this to be finished, it's like, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest wastes of energy to, not consider the possibility that patience will help every single person. And then it gets, isn't that true in anything difficult? That is no, for sure. For sure. sure. But like, you know, when it comes to telling the world that you're getting a divorce, you have to be patient with everybody. They're all going to freak out or some might not. Some will, you can pretty much predict who will and who won't Mm -hmm. patience with, you know, perhaps there's some sort of public 
awareness of something that happened in the context of your divorce. Patience with helping people heal that. Patience with you healing that. Patience with seeing the, the new partner. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, patience with seeing that your friendships are shifting. Patience with your lawyers, your mediator, whomever, you're, whomever you've uh, called on to help you go through the process. People are, it's, it's, there's not always going to be pleasantries. And to have patience while that passes is something. And don't you think one of the components of that is really having trust, you know, and having yeah. a form of, you know, if you want to think about it yogically, like the last niyama, Ishwari Pranidana, like having some kind of deeper faith in the in the process that there is a divine plan. And the only way to understand that is through patience. But it's True. trust ultimately, I imagine. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talk about that. We talk about it in ways that it's not so... Um, etheric, you yes. know, or esoteric. Yeah. It's very grounded and, you know, uh, second pillar is respect. Respect. You know, you really do have to be kind and you don't have to agree. But when you're committing to being respectful, you're not blaming, you're moving forward gracefully, you're surrounding with people who, surrounding yourself with people who nourish you and help you elevate your own self-respect. You know, these are things that, yet yeah, they seem so abundantly plain when I say them here, but when you're in the middle of a divorce, dude, mm. it's almost impossible to say to yourself, I respect myself enough to know that I'm going to get through this beautifully. Mm. You know, there, there's, there's respect yourself, not just your all partner of it. or former partner, right? Respecting the court, respecting your lawyer, respecting your mediator and knowing when you need to, ch- if you need to change course, mm-hmm. then we have clarity. And clarity seems so simple also, but there's so, there are so many opportunities for clarity to be veiled in this process, to know everything from exactly what your assets and liabilities are, to know everything for your, your uh, needs rather than your wants. Mm. These are two very different things. And I've seen many, many a couple go deeply awry because one of them is being greedy and spiteful. There is absolutely, this is a very short life we're living here. Even though it seems pretty long, it's not. And there is no place for spite, especially if there are kids involved. Yeah. So what is your advice or practice for when one person is being spiteful or challenging and not respectful and the other person is trying to navigate the exit more kindly well if we're talking about clarity acceptance is born of clarity and when you're clear on what your role is in this if you're the one who's not being an asshole your role is to lead the charge and be kind your role is to expect clearly that this person is not going to show up in the way that you keep wishing and Mm -hmm. stop expecting it to be different. Then you can adjust your behavior to feel more free and more happy knowing what you know (laughs) and that it won't be any different. Right. That's clarity. You know, recognizing and acknowledging that you're living with somebody who perhaps is, you know, it could be an undiagnosed, untreated mental condition. 
it, it could be any number of things, it could be an addiction. But your clarity makes you more mindful of what you give out, what you send over to the other side so that you're not missing anything. And keeping the, the reactivity at bay, I think, is also a big part of that. Yes, there's yeah. no place for it. And when, you, when, you're, when you're coming up on somebody who's being nasty and mean, straight up, you can remember, if you're choosing to be the leader in the situation, you're choosing kindness and clarity and care, you can say to yourself, you know what, I know that person is still massively in pain. And I can't expect any different, but what I can do is take a deep breath and listen until this moment subsides. That's clarity. And the fourth pillar? Peace. Peace. Be grateful. Be peaceful. Change your, change your negativity into something far more peaceful, like literally writing exercises, movement exercises, uh, challenging yourself to look through your life and see what makes you feel peaceful. What makes you feel motivated to generate more peace and catalog those things so that you never forget them post them on your wall mm -hmm. like on a post-it your actual wall mm -hmm. um and then of course forgiveness because forgiveness is the ultimate course to compassion and if you really want to have compassion for your ex at some stage, because as Lauren Zander of the Handel Group taught me, and this is probably the most important thing I'll say, and I honor her throughout the book, your, if you have a kid and you're going through divorce, your kid's other parent is of the utmost importance, the way that you talk about that person, the way that you treat that person, even if they're being the worst F-U-C-K to you. Your way of treating and talking and dealing with that person is going to essentially design who your child looks for in a partner. And it, she taught me this, I nearly fell over. It took me like a good, I'm really a quick study and this took me, I just stared at her silently for a long pause. And all of a sudden it was like somebody took I, I don't know, you ever go to Instagram stories and when you sometimes you go through the filters and I very rarely use a filter on a story, but sometimes because my house is a little dark in the morning, I'll swipe on the filters and the, the second filter is called Oslo, Norway, for some reason it's called Oslo and it's lighter, right? It lightens everything. It, it felt like that, like all of a sudden this, this beautiful man from whom I was getting a divorce is my family still. And that was the, that became the future for me. That became the future. It was so beautiful. These, and these five pillars had obviously have come out of your experience as anything we do that we write or we create has to come through us. Yeah. Was one of those five, the, you know, the big sticking one for you that was like, Oh man, I have to really work on this one really every moment during your divorce or that has, has been a, th a through line for you and your experience outside of the divorce. Because I imagine the things that we have sort of as our, as our big triggers or our big veils, they're not adherent to one specific person, <laughs> you know? No, I, I, I was in the throes of my addiction. When we first realized that we needed to get a divorce, I was high as a kite as often as I could be 
because I, I was really afraid. And so for the first probably six months, I was a disaster. And I did, I was fine. I was a good mom and I did my job. I held it together really well. I parlayed the pain that I was in into poems and art and I did great work then, but I was super high. And any opportunity that I wasn't teaching or parenting, I was veiling myself with marijuana. So I guess the biggest blind spot early on would have been clarity because I couldn't, I could not see straight. And so when we were writing the clarity um, chapter, I actually didn't, my biggest contribution in that chapter was a, a full edit of what Gabrielle was putting forth, which was so spot on regarding everything from, as I said, the numbers, you know, what are you making? What are you spending? What do you actually really need? Um, what do you want week to week? How often do you want the kids? All of that is, is covered in this chapter. It's really beautiful because it's almost like a checklist for a successful separation. And when I was doing it, I could not see, and it took me a really long time to, uh, to get it together and to start to see, okay, I'm starting to get the full picture. I know I, have, I actually have to get sober. And I know, and that happened within a couple of years at that point, but I really slowed it down. Um, there was one particular meeting that we had with our babysitter and I just lost my shit totally and didn't know which way to turn. And that was the moment that was like my wake up call <laughs> of, Hey girl, you should not be smoking pot ever again. And, uh, it was a couple of years, but I slowed down and then I stopped and you know, I realized at that point that there was something to share. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And then when Gabrielle called and said, I think we need to do something together. I don't know what exactly it is. I, I was big yes to that because I knew that I had learned so much and I knew that we were both going to come really far, um, you know, as, as friends and as family, Tony and I, uh, over the ensuing years as the book would be written. And sure enough, it, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. So how... How did you have faith that you guys would navigate this so well? Were there moments of doubt or was it easy and amicable from the get-go? How did, how did that work? Yeah. Um, I can honestly say that I really did not, I did not have it together so well at that time. And I doubted constantly. And I think Lauren's comment about, um, seeing him as my family mm. and seeing him as an opportunity to create a future template for how my son would find his partner and look at the, the world of romance. Um, that really made a big difference in my life, a huge difference in my life. And, and from that point on, there was a, there was a real sliding door and I started to act you know, like a person. I went to him and I, I said, I'm, I'm sorry for my part. I owned my part, which I hadn't done. And he was grateful. It was really beautiful, actually. I just have to keep thanking my teachers because if it weren't for Lauren Zander, there's no way I would be where I am with regards to the relationship that Tony and I have. It's so beautiful. And it's, it's you know, my son is still getting comfortable with it. He's like, you know, sometimes we're all sitting together. He kind of acts out 
because he's still not quite so comfortable. And so we're really doing a good job of creating a comfortable, easeful, casual space. We're pair, you know, disciplining him as a unit rather than separately, which happened for some time where there was this gentle, subtle undercurrent of disagreement, discord between the two of us and how I was talking, how he was talking. So we've gotten a couple of books that have been really pivotal, Voice Lessons for Parents by Wendy Mogel mm. and uh, The Soul of Discipline by Kim Payne, I think is the last name, P-A-Y-N-E. Uh, you have to check me on that. But put it in the show notes because we'll both put of it these in the books show notes. are yeah. absolutely critical. A couple years ago, I, I want to estimate this, you had done, um, I don't remember who it was for, a, vi a video series on parenting. Yeah. Maybe Yoga International, Yoga Journal, I can't remember. I think it was Yoga International. Yoga International. I love those guys. And I yeah. had watched it and um, downloaded, I think there was a handout or some part of it. But one of the things that has stuck with me um, from that was... I'm, I'm probably going to not get this quite right, but you had said something like at the end of the day, you would check in with Jonah and say, you know, what could I do better? And something like that. And I, it was the first, that was a light bulb for me. It was like, and I think at the time, you know, maybe my son was, I don't know, eight or nine. And I remember thinking, oh, I can ask him what he would like more of and what, how mommy can do better. Where, you know, in, in, in my life growing up, that would have, I can't even imagine that being a question presented to me from either of my parents. So, it, you know, speaking of having the example, it would have never dawned on me that there's, that that was even a possibility to offer to my child. I think one of the best gifts we can give a kid is a voice in how the house is going. And that's the, that's the way. Also Lauren Zander, Handel Group, actually her, it was her eldest sister, Beth Weisenberger, who taught me that. She actually does a lot of corporate coaching. I wish like if I needed her, I would use her, but she's so insightful and she's the one who taught me, you know, every night, ask your kid, what could I have done better today? How am I doing? Now we're going to take a quick break from our chat with Elena to tell you about this week's giveaway, which comes from a dear friend of mine, Stacy Bates. Stacy is an award-winning photographer, best known for her portraits, including all of the fantastic yogis at Past Tense, my studio in D.C. But she also shoots stunning landscapes from around the world. Her new company, Bird and Fish, brings that art into the everyday. This week, two listeners will get a gift pack that includes a card deck and umbrellas featuring Stacy's nature photography. To enter, rate and review this podcast, take a screenshot, and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me and Amy so we know at Kelly DiNardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. And all listeners can use the promo code LIVINGIT, all one word, to get a free deck of playing cards with any purchase at Bird and Fish. That's birdandfishco.com. Elena, I'm curious, when you created Practice You, who was it originally meant for? Who was it directed at? It was actually directed for me when my mom died and for us, you know, for my peers. And I thought, oh, you know, as it started to flesh itself out, um, I thought, oh, this will be great for yoga teachers and great for teacher trainings. And then I started to realize as the Jonah's friends would come over, and they'd be like, what are you doing? It was months. I had all the paintings on the floor. Yeah. That became the book. 
and they were so excited and they started to and I realized oh my goodness the first thing I did when the book was in my hands I brought a whole case over to Jonah's class and taught those kids and, and were you surprised at how much it affected teens and, and kids? No, 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 not at all, not yeah. at all. It was very clear that it was going to, it was very clear that while this wasn't the intention even a little bit, that the teens and the, even even littles, they were fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, no, they mm -hmm. were fifth graders at the time. They were so relieved to be working in a space that was safe where they could write and they could share and they could be without having to worry about what it would look like or feel like or or you know what would it be perfect you know i focus on the fact that it shouldn't be uh perfect at all in fact it should be as imperfect as you need it to be in order for you to feel something see something you know learn how to conduct yourself in, in a new way or be proud of how you're conducting yourself now. You know, it's, a, it's an investment in your, your own heart to, to journal. Yeah. Your mother's passing has been four or five years? Not even. Three. Not even. Three in January. And you were close. Oh, yeah. Really close. We still are. Mm -hmm. Closer now, in fact. Mm-hmm. What was your relationship with your with your mom and your parents? Uh, it was it was really one of the most important formative relationships of my life. What can I say? They were my dad is still here and he's such a love. And my mom was a powerhouse. She worked several jobs. I was a latchkey kid in Long Island in the seventies, mm -hmm. in the eighties. And I would let myself into my house and I would make my own food and I would do my own homework. And because of her work ethic, I was just automatically uh, created my own destiny and worked really hard to, to keep up, you know, in a funny way with her. She handled a lot of real adversity with uh, the best elegance that she could. And, you know, with regards to her passing, we actually, she was very, very sick about eight years ago. And then we, she had a stem cell transplant and massive chemotherapy for mantle cell lymphoma and then got another five years. Wow. And so, wow. Yeah. Her heart actually gave out um, uh, in January, three years ago, 2016, kind of suddenly, you know, we really didn't expect her to be leaving anytime soon and her heart just gave out, which apparently is the result of a lot of chemo. Sure. Uh, the, the muscle of the heart actually just failed. Half the muscle failed. Hmm. So it was quite sudden, but we had this window of 24 hours and we all got to talk to her. We all got to be with her. We sang, we prayed. I mean, I got some alone time with her. It was just the holiest. Thing, and I find one of the best things that came out of it is many of my friends and my teammates, my doTERRA team, when anyone ever uh, is in a situation where they're about to usher someone through this transition of, you know, from life to the other side, they are asking me, how, well, what do I do? What did you do? You, it seemed like you handled it so well. And I, I always say the same thing. It's something like be exceedingly present to um, how do we say your sort of ancient knowing because mm. death is one of the most sacred moments of a life, not just the one who's leaving this plane, but 
also the people who are left. It's so sacred. It's, it's not a deep well of sadness. It's a deep well of sanctity. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting that culturally we don't think that way the same way we do birth. You know, we celebrate birth in such, in such a different way, I think, culturally, than we celebrate death in, in, uh, in our modern day, especially Correct. in the West. Correct. How did, how did it change you as the person who was left? Oh, I just got right to, right to it. And I started creating and, and, you know, doing all the things that she would have me do where mm-hmm. she's still mm. here. You know, she's so committed to my art and always has been from very, very small. And it's fun now to, to you know, I've worked really hard to get my team where it is. And now that they are functioning and self-sustaining for the most part, I support, I do a lot of supporting, but they're pretty self-sustaining. And now I have these pockets of time where I get to just go and nourish myself with art at the all the museums in New York I get to create. I'm starting to paint, um, you know, big works. I'm going to, uh, I'm obviously starting this podcast. There are things that she would love to have me do, you mm-hmm. know, that I'm finally getting to do. So it's, it's a big shift. And, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of the sort of nature of the podcast is going to be about transition in general and mm-hmm. in particular where, you know, that her transition really brought me to a place where, I realize we're always in some sort of a transition and I want to just keep talking about how we listen really well when we're in transition. It sounds like her passing was a rebirth for you. For sure. Yeah. As the eldest daughter, for sure. Mm. Did it change your relationship with your son or how you parent? Uh, Let's see. I mean, I think everything changes our yeah. relationship and how we parent every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's also a, a place where when now that she's gone, there's so much healing that has happened. Like I no longer need to prove myself even unconsciously or subconsciously. Yeah. And so there's a little more confidence in my parenting. You know, I had, a, I had such a blind spot where I, I thought she was always criticizing me. But mm-hmm. I, you know, she really wasn't. She was just asking questions to learn more and have a conversation. And now I'm sort of being a little more uh, conscious, I guess, intentional about how I talk to him because I'm mm-hmm. no longer needing to prove myself to anybody. I'm so curious about how you've developed your relationship you know with women it seems it seems like you have a special place for having you know uplifting women and and female friends in particular and peers that you've done very intentionally and and how you know and, and your thoughts around that i think that we have a responsibility to ourselves and to the women in our lives to start collaborating as a practice. The truth is the benefit of collaboration is far greater than the benefit of using competition as a fuel for our creativity or our our work. And I am living proof. I have 20, almost 23,000, mostly women, but some great men on my team for doTERRA worldwide. 
And the more we collaborate, not just within our team, but also across teams with other leaders of other large teams, far larger than mine, the more we collaborate, the more we rise. It just keeps on being true. And so every time I'm feeling inadequate or insufficient or in some way jealous, I immediately turn the lens, I spray paint it bright pink, and I look through it and I see there, over there, that girl that I'm jealous of is five years old in pigtails, the fucking same person as me. And if I can work with her and let her know that I'm here for her and she can be here for me, we are both going to learn more, more quickly, more efficiently, and be more creative together. And that's how it keeps on working. Well, I, our experience, Kelly, I mean, I don't think we would have had this beautiful book that we've written without each other. It could never have come through without each other. Right. And I all. agree with that. Yeah. Right. Elena, what are some of the specific ways that you nourish those female friendships and those relationships? There are so many. Um, <laughs> there are so many, even from the time, you know, it's sort of like dating where mm -hmm. when you're conscious of everything, you know, your clothes, your hair, and you're texting and you're being really sweet and thoughtful and, and awake to the other person. You know, that it's sort of like that. I do it as a practice with my friends, my team, my leaders, their teams, you know, whoever needs it. I'm I'm going to do my best to help them feel seen and heard and it's been nothing but a joy because I get it back. And it's not it's not why I do it, but I definitely do get it back. I send gifts all the time, I send cards, I you know, I order letterpress cards with my name on them so that I can snail mail little notes of love that say three words or two sentences and nothing but everything. And with regards to the actual work, the sort of practicalities, I really pay attention to everyone's mindset on my team and I try and help them to see the truth in what is possible for them. I don't not the whole like rah rah abundance is available to us all the time it's not like that it really is work pay attention be a product of the product use learn teach mm. that's it and that goes for any whatever you do if you're listening to this whatever you do whether you sell something make something um, teach something you, you have to do those three things you have to use the product or whatever it is that you're doing, practice whatever it is that you're doing, so practice or use, learn, continuously be in a space of studentship, and then teach it. And so it doesn't matter if it's divorce book or it's practice you journal deck or it's the doTERRA team. And people are like, how do you have time to do all that? I'm like, I'm doing the same thing no matter what the sort of title is or what it looks like, I'm still just practicing learning and teaching. Yeah, and I'm getting good at it now. I I've heard that you I've heard you say that um, your daily practice is the most critical way to maintain what you're talking about to maintain your integrity in every realm. Yes, know, with your with your kid, your with James, with Anthony, with mm -hmm. your team. Mm -hmm. So, what does that practice look like? And and talk to us a little bit about how it's integral to maintaining that. It changes every day. 
Most days I use Yoga Glow. Mm-hmm. Um, glow.com, G-L-O.com. Uh, actually, it's changing over to Glow.com very soon, but right now it's Yoga Glow. And um, I practice with my teacher, or this is going to sound really weird, but I, I don't, I, I mean for this, to, I say this in the most humble way, I'll practice with myself or my teacher. Rod Stryker. And I practice with myself because I spend months and months and months of every year creating the classes that I teach on that platform. I go there three times a year, maybe four, and I film. And those are the classes that you'll see when you log on of mine. That is my finest work. I put in so much effort to making sure those classes are well-rounded and really good touch points, cohesive, that they make um, life easier while you're on the mat that they make your mind more easeful, more spacious while you're on the mat. And so I like watching myself and doing my own practices because I know they're good. I know they're, I know they're solid. And of course my teacher, you know, is my lifeline to the practice and has always been, um, I've been studying with him on and off for almost 20 years now. And he's, Rod Stryker is the one who really, I found one of the most clear vessels for the most ancient teachings on earth today. And I will never stop working with him because he, he continues to show up for his own teacher as a student. And his studentship is what feeds my own. Besides your asana practice, what are some of the other daily practices that you maintain? Well, I have an asana practice in the morning. I sit and meditate for 10 to 20 minutes, preferably 20. I have a mantra that Rod gave me. Um, I love TM also, but my mantra from Rod is the one that I use. And I will usually really dork out and pull a card from one of the various decks that I have, including my own. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will usually share it on stories when I'm all done. I might share the actual picking, which I did today on the Practice You Instagram because the deck just got launched yesterday. So exciting. Congratulations. So sweet. So sweet. It looks so good. Um, And... I usually from there will then just go climb back in bed with either James or Jonah and wake them up. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't matter whoever's around. Right. <laughs> I want to snuggle. And uh, it's the loveliest thing. I make some breakfast or James makes breakfast sometimes. Yeah. And then we sit together, we eat or drink shakes as it were sometimes. And uh, off we go. Hmm. Yeah, it's nothing, nothing too nothing too involved. That usually does involve actually some essential oils too. I usually am diffusing during that period of time. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a very simple life over here. <laughs> There's not a lot of complexity, honestly. I, I think snuggling, while not an eighth limb, uh, one of the eight limbs, <laughs> it's, it should be. It, it, it should, should be. be part of the practice. Yeah. So right about that. You're so right about that. I love that. So somebody needs to write that down. You know what, you guys? Here's my recommendation: as your PR person, handwritten on a beautiful piece of paper, maybe even with some pretty paint behind it. Right. Mm. Number the eight limbs and put number nine. Number nine. Snuggles. Snuggles. 
<laughs> I mean, yes. we know that yoga has been evolving for thousands of years. Kelly, yes. we can write a ninth limb, right? A ninth limb. I think that's fine. Elena, do you want to paint it for us? <laughs> oh my God, I actually would love to. Except that I'm leaving on Saturday for two weeks. Ooh, where, where are you, you going? going? To Costa Rica. I teach for a week, mm, and then nice. you rest for a week. No, it's better. It's and I study oh. I study with Rod for a week. Oh, good oh, that's for wonderful. you. You can't even imagine the joy that I look forward to this all year. Oh, it's great. That's great. Ridiculous. And so he will be, I will, I will feed and then I will get fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, what do you, what are you working on cultivating more for yourself, Elena? Like personally for yourself that you feel is... Is there something that you feel is in lack or just maybe it's been asleep or, I mean, if we're always in transition, like you say, and I agree, mm. there has to be something always kind of slowly creeping up like, oh, this is surfacing and it's, it is going to deserve my, I know it deserves my attention soon. Has I there been think, something like that? Yeah, I think it would have to be the, uh, the, the art, the painting. Mm -hmm. I'm actually mm -hmm. going to gesso a canvas tomorrow. You know what? I actually have a piece. I have a watercolor piece that I'm going to scan and send to you. Ooh. Oh, great. Yeah. I'll, I'll make myself a little note of it. I get that. Um, <laughs> I, and I think I think the painting is going to take a much bigger, well, like big, big pieces. Yeah. Um, mm. All the, the visits that I make to all the galleries are starting to show up in that work for me. And it's so beautiful. I think that would be one place. And, um, I'm feeling pretty well-rounded. My intention for this year was a little more rest and a little more luxury and a little more kind of horizontal living. And I've gotten myself a beautiful biomat, the amethyst crystal mat that heats up. And I spent some time there doing phone calls. And then I also have, uh, I treated myself to an infrared sauna blanket. Mm. so it's basically like an infrared cocoon and you get into it you wrap yourself in like a beach blanket beach towel or a beach blanket go in there for an hour come out sweating and new oh yeah it's really nice okay we we might need more details for our show notes on that one yeah, yeah. it's just high it's higher dose okay high, higher dose and you know put it on your bed put your headphones on Put the blanket on and go to town. It's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Listen to your podcasts on it. You can listen to my <laughs> podcasts on it well, for sure. Yeah, I love that. We have one final question that we that we wanted to ask. Yeah. So the, the subtitle of Living the Sutras is A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. And what we hope to do with the book and now with the podcast is to make this amazing wisdom really accessible and personal and relevant and tangible so since we're talking about relationships today what off the mat practice really nourishes and supports your relationships mm. gosh I, the first word that comes to my mind is just listening mm. <laughs> i i was such an interrupter for so long <laughs> you know when I when I, I I get interviewed by podcasters a lot, you guys have done a tremendous job. But lots of times when you're answering a question, you get interrupted by the podcaster who wants to interject their story about it, and it's the worst. 
pretty mm -hmm. much. I mean, it's exactly what I never want to do as an interviewer. So I, I'm being very conscious of that. But in my house, boy, oh boy, is it hard not to interrupt. I did it three times the other night with Tony when Tony James and I were having this very deep powwow and I interrupted him like three times and it was a, really a source of such soreness and I had to apologize. And I think listening would be the one thing that I find to be the most critical practice off the mat to nourish a relationship uh, with, with anyone in your life. Mm. Just good, simple listening. That's a gem. You get mm -hmm. a lot of information. That's that going way. on the wall. There yeah. you go. <laughs> well, you and go. it yeah. encompasses so many of the sutras too, right? Yes, indeed. Yes. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Elena, thank you so much. I can't um, thank you enough for being part of this. We love mm. chatting with you mm. and we look forward to doing it again, I hope. Um, tell us, tell our listeners, how can they stay in touch with you? Where can they find you? The site would be Elena Brower and you can find everything there. And I would say the most important thing that I'm thinking about right now is how to give back. And the one thing that has been deeply on my mind for this year, as I have a few different organizations that I support, but this one I have at the top of my link tree, and it's the Navajo Water Project. And it's, it's a fundraiser that I'm running in two places. One, on Facebook, because we love a Facebook fundraiser. Everything is already linked, so you really just have to click one time to donate and donate $1. It's so useful. And I'm also running it through digdeep.org as a fundraiser. Again, the link is right in my link tree on Instagram. And this is to get clean water and solar power to as many homes as possible in the Navajo lands in Utah. This is a very direct way, Dig Deep does not take the money, it goes directly to the water project, getting clean water and solar power to these homes in Utah, these Navajo homes in Utah that desperately need it. That's amazing. We will put all of the links and information in that in the show notes, make it super easy for people to click through. Thank you so much. I really Absolutely. appreciate that. Thank you, Elena. I feel so uplifted and inspired by your words this morning. Oh, that's awesome. Really. That's awesome. Really great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Living It. You can find links to all of the resources we discussed in this episode in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. And remember, Bird and Fish is giving away a gift pack that includes a card deck and umbrella to two lucky listeners. To enter, rate and review this podcast, take a screenshot and share it, tag us at Kelly DiNardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.